And the reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And this can be found on page 1184 in the Church Bible. Rules for Holy Living Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are pursuing um, our series in Colossians, and uh, if you would keep your Bibles open, that would be really good. Um, We are reaching now a particular change in this book. Um, You will see from the program there's about nine sermons in total. We're almost halfway there now. Here's the pivotal point in chapter 3 as we then halfway through um, this little letter. You, you should notice that there's a change of tone, that the message is the same, but the tone now is different. And it's different in this sense, and I hope that you will find this helpful. And if you do a little bit of work yourself, you'll see this, that what the Apostle Paul has been doing to this church, something like our church here, He has been explaining what the gospel is, what it is essentially in terms of its content, what it is 
the gospel. But the switch or the change in tone is this. Now he says, you know what it is. I want now to tell you in your life what it means. What it means. Now, it's a, it's a significant shift. I hope that you can pick that up because it's very important. Okay? He's been explaining essentially what the gospel is in terms of its content. Now he is applying this gospel, what it means in practice. In a sense, from principle to practice. What it is, what it means. And it's a deliberate shift. So an outline for our sermon is, and again you will see now it's much more personal and a bit more practical. Okay? It's verses 1 to 11, living with Jesus. What is it like to keep company with Jesus? And then uh, verses 12 to 15, living like him. Perhaps even unconsciously, I suppose, there is a greater likeness of Jesus in our lives, in our relationships. And then finally, living for him. There's a switch in our lives that we're not so self-centered that we're more now Jesus-centered and his influence becomes even greater. So you can see there's a progression even there in these uh, verses. So let me pause for a moment and ask you to stay with the introduction because it is crucial to the sermon. If every Sunday you came to a certain type of church where every Sunday the Bible is clearly and faithfully explained. This is what it says. That is a great privilege. But if it's not followed by, now then, where you live, where you work, with your family, with your colleagues, this is what it means. If we don't follow that through, I would suggest that you should, in the course of time, change your church. Because the danger is, and Norman's going to flash this up, that you end up a bit like Mr. Clever. Uh, how many of you have children who did the Mr. Men? Put your hands up. Let's have a look. See how many... Yeah, I know. It's good, isn't it, Mr. Men? Right. Would you allow me to uh, make a change just for the purpose of the introduction? Because everything hinges on the introduction. I'm sorry I'm laboring the point, but it needs to be done. If we were to switch, for instance, Mr. Clever with Mr. Christian. But we won't. But just put it in the back of your mind. Because if you are going to a church where people every Sunday say, this is what it says, this is what it says, this is what it says, and doesn't follow through for you and I in our relationships, in, in, in our, often in our, in our sinfulness, in our rebellion, oh, hold on a minute, this is what it means there. Take Jesus there. There should be no no-go area in areas of our lives. There shouldn't be. Well, here, here we are, Mr. Clever. Are you sitting quietly? Right. Mr. Clever lived in a very clever house in a place called Cleverland. And as long as he stayed there, he was fine. Everything was happy. But one day, once upon a time, he went for a walk. And do you know, he strayed from Cleverland. 
So he proudly introduced himself to a number of people he met in the outside world. And they, naturally and rightly, thought he would easily be able to answer their questions. He met Mr. Happy. And all that he wanted to know was a really good joke. Mr. Greedy, he wanted to know where the best restaurant and the most delicious dish was. Mr. Forgetful, all he wanted to know was his name. The trouble is, these were not the questions they considered in Cleverland. Mr. Clever was not equipped to handle them. He was all right if he stayed in Cleverland with clever people like him. So much of our interaction with people, if I can use it in the best sense, outside or unchurched, and there are vastly, increasingly much more people like that, is that they are outside of our frame of reference. And if our church does not equip us to relate to them, I say to you, whatever joy you might have, you should go to another one. You can appear very clever or very spiritual or very Christian. You can but actually, in reality, be quite unable to answer the questions of life. You become, if you like, what I can call a bubble Christian, not a Bible Christian. And if you live in Cleverland, that's okay. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure you would agree it's almost a caricature, but you should never be like that. It, it, it is absolutely imperative that you and I, the people with whom we rub shoulders with, that we give a reason for the hope that is within us, and that's not clever, it is just being a normal Christian. And John Stott, even 40 years ago, said, our guilty silence, that somehow we do not connect with the world in which we live. Now, you see the obvious connection then. That now this section becomes much, much, much more practical. God's word is meant to change us. It's meant to equip us. It's meant to enable us to live out our faith in an increasingly disbelieving world. And we need to connect with it. And being clever doesn't help. So let's look then. That's, that's if, if for nothing else, it would be worth coming just to be challenged about that. But let's look at this chapter very quickly as we prepare for, for coming around the Lord's table. Here it is then. Living with Jesus, verses 1 to 11. Here we are given a well-balanced description of the normal Christian life. That, this is the norm. The normal Christian life. And how interesting the sequence is deliberate. It's not random. It's well thought through. And what Paul does here, he sets out his stall. And his stall is this. He's got five headings that unfold progressively, the one from another. 
And this is where we're going uh, in the lay of the land in the next couple of weeks. Very quickly then, you will see, um, first of all, uh, uh, the Christian and Christ. Verses 1 to 8, and we're going to pursue that in a moment. And then secondly, here we are this morning, the Christian and the local church. This is where we relate, I hope, genuinely now, I hope. Or are we like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Clever, that we actually don't relate even within the clever land? Thirdly, the Christian and his family. Do you see the progression? He's in my life. He's in my church. No, he's in my home and my family. I take him there. And then I say, thank God it's Monday. The Christian and work. Not thank God it's Friday. Do I? Well, that's a big ask sometimes. Sometimes work is stressful, boring, difficult, conflicts. But we take him there. And then the Christian and the outsider. The Christian and the outsider. So that's how you see he sets out his stall so clearly. Right, we're going to look at the first two and that's where we're going this morning. Take this with you, if nothing else, and I'm sure you'll take a lot more, and it's this. The priority of any believer, anybody, he or she, who says that they love Jesus, is to maintain that relationship, come what may. Whatever the stresses and strains, the pressures, financial and family and work and community, whatever they are, this is paramount because everything flows from it. If, for instance, I keep my life stream from my local church, in time, for sure, I'm going to quarrel with someone, or someone's going to quarrel with me. Because that's what we like. But I'm not going to quarrel with Jesus. Let let me draw my life from Him, and, and let everything flow from that. And that's why He's given us the gift of His table, that we might relate back to Him yet again. You see, with zero maintenance... Other relationships are going to suffer. We might get into the blame game, and we're good at that, and some of us have perfected it. But in reality, my relationship with Jesus and everybody else cannot be separate. Cannot be. That's my priority, my relationship with Jesus. So, look at the the substance of this very quickly, verses 1 to 4. Let... Your earthly practice be worthy of your heavenly position. That's what one commentator said. It's quite helpful, isn't it? What does he mean? Look, since then you've been, been raised with Christ. Coming to faith in Christ, you died with him. Coming to faith in baptism and confession, you rose with him. Now then, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look, set your heart, set your mind. You're not a mindless Christian. You're not a heartless Christian on those things that are above, not on earthly things. They are passing. They are. One of the questions going to be asked in the home group is this. When did you genuinely, genuinely meet a believer who was so heavenly minded? We can't say the opposite, can you? No earthly use, because that isn't the case. The truth for most of us is that it's the opposite. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. 
Let my earthly practice be worthy of that heavenly position. I'm to seek Jesus Christ. Now, it's an interesting term, to seek him, as, as, you, as you have it there uh, in those verses. To seek him. Some churches have seeker services. And what they will say, and it's a, it's a very good thing to do, is this. Somebody may have an unbelieving friend and say, you know, in our church this Sunday, we have a seeker service. And, and you may not be a believer, you may not be a Christian. Uh, I'd like you to come. I'd like you to come to a seeker service. Well, that, that's a good thing to do. But the point Paul's making here is that every service for every Christian, for all time, is a seeker service. We're always seeking him. We're always coming to him. We're always relating to him. It's not just for unbelievers who need to seek the Lord. Believers need to keep seeking him. Everything hinges on my relationship with Jesus. Seek him while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Set your heart, set your mind. You see that? What is our mindset? What what is the center of our being on things above? Stay focused. Some of you will will know that uh, uh, I lost my spectacles in Belfast Airport and uh, they were returned and the sign, I had to sign for them and the underheading was mangled. Somebody would stepped on them and they were broken and so on. So I had to go to Dolland and Atkins in Aylesbury to have my eyes tested and I've got new spectacles. While I was having it tested, they have a motto. And, and the motto, which I made note of, and I can't find it now, isn't that? Yes, here it is. Live the vision. That was clever, wasn't it? In other words, you see, if, 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 if from now on, I'm not going to live the vision, I'll fall over. <laughs> right? I can't see those notes. I can't live the vision. I can't. But if I put these spectacles back on, I can read my notes and I won't waffle and I live the vision. Do you see what I'm saying? And and what it says here is, put on Christ. Put him on. Live the vision. Live the vision. Live it. Don't talk about it. Don't be like Mr. Clever. Live it. Live the vision. Stay focused on Jesus. You know, as you and I keep company with Jesus, do you know what begins to happen? A bit like these autumn leaves, some things begin to fall out of our lives. Or we use the term, the baggage gets lighter as you go along in life. But you know, distance yourself from Jesus and the baggage gets heavier and life gets more complicated. Live the vision. Try to leave behind the baggage and move forward even if you can't move on. People sometimes say in an insensitive way, oh, you've got to move on. Well, no, I can move forward a little. I can do that. Live the vision. Our company shapes so much of our behavior. It does. Now, can you see the point of keeping company with Jesus that shapes our behavior as we live the vision? Now, look at the substance of this very quickly. And, and, and you, you, you see here, he says, um, the things that we are to renounce. It's very practical. And, and, and wherever you and I are at now, look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You set your minds on things above. What's the application? You're living on earth. 
Where are the stresses and strains? Look at them. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. God is not indifferent to them. He is not. And we shouldn't be. Those are the things that we are to renounce. If you like, a wardrobe change. Take them off. Take them off. These dowdy clothes. And instead, look, look at verse 8. Put off, he says. Do you see it there in verse, verse 8? But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Get rid of them. Put them off. That's the language. And then, look at verse 10. Here's the change. And put on the new self. The Christ image which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So you see it? Here's the exchange. It's so, it's so practical. I put off and I put on. But more than that, if you, it's not a wardrobe change. It's not a change of image. It's substance as well. It is a regime change. That's a buzzword that's used so much, isn't it? A regime change. Just turn, turn back to chapter 1. We, we're not moving outside of Colossians now. Chapter 1 and verse 21. Look at this. Here's the regime change. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, here's the change, regime change. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That is what it means to keep company with Jesus. And to say and to confess and come back to chapter 3 and verse 11 that he is Lord. And, and, and you know, in, in this culture, this is so radical. We, we've got so used to it. But here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. That is the radical nature of living with Jesus Christ. It's not just a Sunday thing. The things that we should renounce. And look at the things that we should remember. Remember. Look at verse 6. Because of this, the wrath of God is coming on you. You used to walk in these ways, in the way that you once lived. But now, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. It's a whole debate, isn't there, on um, uh, what's the timeline for um, bad language on the television as it encroaches upon us all the time. Uh, last night we did something we haven't done for ages. Uh, we had a, a, a DVD with a takeaway. It's the thing to do, isn't it? That was the night before we had it, Friday night. And um, I can't remember what the film was now. Hannah will tell you. <laughs> Anyway, it was a 12, right? It's okay. The lady in the team got it mixed up and sent us uh, an 18XXX with torrent of obscenities from, from the very beginning and within less than two minutes. It was just impossible. It was too late to take it back, so I took it back the next day. This lady was terribly apologetic, so she should be. 
But why is it that people would choose to listen to such obscenities all the time? There seems to be plenty of people who are willing to hire these things. And there doesn't seem to be a lack of people who subscribe. But you see what it is? If you, you bring Jesus into that, then one has got to give way to the other. So verse 8, now you must rid yourself of all such things as these rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. He's talking to believers because these things can encroach upon us and make their way back. So the things that we should renounce, but the things that we should remember. How often, and may I say it in anticipation of the Lord's table, and it's this. So often our human nature is such that we do the opposite, and it's this. We remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. That's the problem. That's what we like by nature. The hurts that people have done to us. The things that people have said to us. That's what we like. Keeping company with Jesus is the reversal of that. That's what it's like to live with Jesus. And moving on very quickly then, living like Jesus. 12 to 15. Now, interestingly, note the five negatives that you have in verses 5 and 8. See those five negatives? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earth nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. Five things. Five negatives. And he says, get rid of them. Get rid of them. But they're followed by five positives. Look at verse 12. Here's the alternative. So now, I'm living with Jesus. I'm living like him. Do you see There's a, the, the progression? Here's the alternative. The counterculture. What are they? Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Here's the wardrobe change. What? In contrast to that, to this. Compassion. Kindness. Humility, gentleness, patience. Get rid of those, the negatives. Clothe yourselves with these, the positives. Surely this is the essence of, of Christ-likeness, of being like him. Of course, we're all a work in progress. We know that. It's, you're, you're right, nobody's perfect. So don't expect it. And if somebody you know isn't perfect, don't criticize them. And the point is in verse 13, you and I belong to an imperfect church. Why? Well, look at verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You've got to do that because you are members of an imperfect church. So, you know, we could read that through very quickly and not really get the full thrust of it. Forgiveness. I am to forgive as Christ forgave. <laughs> not just to be patronizing or grudging. I am to forgive as Christ forgave. Well, we know how we forgive. We know. And we are to love as Christ loved. And we know how he loved. Do you remember him saying to his 
Fearful disciples in the context of the Lord's table. A new command I give you now. Love one another as I have loved you. Do you see it? As I have loved you. By this will all people know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. We forgive as he forgives. We love as he loves. We give as he gives. Well, he couldn't give any more. He could have given a lot less. He so loved that he gave that whoever believes shall not perish. Do you see? See the connection. Living with Jesus. And so you see in verse 15, look, this is something you must do. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You notice often, particularly in, in, uh, in, in football culture, more than as a, as a team sport, how often people are complaining about the referee. But what he says goes. So he says, look, here is the umpire in, who's in your life. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Stop arguing. This becomes a habit. Why? You're a member of one body. You are called to peace. Be thankful. Do you see it? Living with Jesus. And lastly, living for him. Verses 16 and 17. These last verses. Do, do, there's, there's such an obvious progression here that, that you need to go through these stages. Do you see the progression? If the first, living with Jesus, as we've seen it, is purity of life, not perfection. The, the, the change, the transforming grace of God in my life. And secondly, living like Jesus, which is this practical outworking. Not like Mr. Clever. Now you come to the third, living for Jesus, which is this positive attitude. And, and, and it is something so gloriously attractive. Let's, let's conclude with it. Let the word, you see, let the peace of Christ rule. You need to do that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You need to do that. The preacher can't do it for you. You need to do that. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and so on. There is a real progression here. And it is the normal Christian life. This is something you must do and you must let it happen. Let me close because this verse has not only been a source of stimulus but of potential division as well among believing people when it comes to worship, how we do it. I want to give you a quote from um, William Temple, former Archbishop of a long time ago. I've given this before, but it's worthy of repeat because it is concise and comprehensive when we think about our worship. Whatever our preferences, temperamental, background, whatever they might be, legitimate or otherwise. We just read this to you, it's come up in front of you. Just think about it. This is what we are doing. That worship is the submission of all our nature to God. Living with, living like, living for Jesus. So it's the quickening of the conscience by his holiness. It is the nourishment of mind with his beauty. Purifying of the imagination by his beauty. 
nourishment of mind with his truth, opening the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. And all this and much more is gathered up in adoration. Humanly speaking, the most selfless emotion which our nature is capable. And essentially that's what it is, isn't it? Keeping company with Jesus. Jesus. 